Well, my head is pounding right now. My throat feels like sandpaper. I am incredibly tired. Today's topic is joy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We're launching a new series today on Philippians called And Rejoicing. Actually, the the throat clearing is not a part of that. It's just and rejoicing. (laughs) And that might sound like a strange title, and it is, but there's a good reason for it, and that's because the book of Philippians is all about joy in every circumstance. No matter what you find yourself in, we are supposed to be always rejoicing. So whatever that situation is, whatever that circumstance is, we can be doing that and rejoicing. The last chapter of this book has a verse in it that you're probably, most of you or all of you are familiar with. The way I memorized it growing up says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And that may be the way many of you memorized it. The version that we're using today, the New Living Translation, puts it this way, always be full of joy in the Lord, I say it again, rejoice. So Philippians is all about joy, having joy in any circumstance, and as we'll see in a moment, uh, it was written under not such a great circumstance, not a very joyful circumstance, and that's where that word always comes in, always under any circumstance, no matter what it is we're doing, we are supposed to be joyful, and here's what happens when I read scripture, and maybe you do this too, lots of wonderful commands in scripture, principles, instructions, things that we are supposed to follow, and I so often read it and study it and walk away with this question how? Okay, so I'm supposed to be joyful in every single circumstance. Got it. How? How do I do that? And that is our task when we come to the word of God. It's to read it, it's to study it, but it's meant to be applied to our lives. And so that question, how, is a really important question. It's a question that God wants us to wrestle with. As we come to his word, to his text, he wants us to be asking, how? And he actually gives us a tremendous amount of how in his word. There's a lot of practical application if you know where to look for it. And so that's what this series is going to be all about. How can we find joy in difficult circumstances? How can we do whatever we're doing, whatever we're feeling, whatever that is, and be rejoicing? Because I've been in some pretty unjoyful situations, if that's a word. Sometimes when I did not feel like rejoicing at all, I've failed at this many times. I have worked in places where my immediate boss lied about me on a regular basis. How can you have joy in that kind of a situation? I have lost two children to a rare condition before they were born. How do you have joy in that situation? I've experienced times when when I was facing all kinds of criticism that I felt was completely unwarranted and unfair and had false motives behind it. And maybe you have experienced that too. And the question then that you should ask is, how can I rejoice in this situation? And so that's what this series is going to be all about. How can we be in whatever circumstance we're in and yet find joy in that circumstance? How can we be joyful in whatever it is that we're doing? when it might seem like it's impossible to rejoice. Let's talk about this letter a little bit before we move on because I want to kind of introduce you to the book of Philippians and this is going to set us up for the next several weeks as we walk through this together. The author of this book is the Apostle Paul. 
He used to be called Saul before he had this transformation experience. We won't go into the details here. Many of you probably know this story. He's converted to Paul. He trusts in Jesus. He becomes a traveling missionary who goes all over the Middle East and Europe planting churches and sharing the gospel with people. How he ended up planting a church in the city of Philippi is really cool. It's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's, pro- it's kind of an obscure story. You, you may have never even heard this before. It's back in Acts chapter 16. And Paul really, really wants to go to a city called Bithynia, or a place called Bithynia in the Roman province of Asia, what is now modern day Turkey. And he wants to go to this place called Bithynia so that he can share the gospel with them. What is so cool about this is that he actually packs his stuff up with his crew because he traveled with other people and they headed north up to Bithynia. And along the way, the Bible says the spirit of Jesus Christ stopped them. And then they went on to go to a different place. So what is it about this story that is so neat to me? If you pay close attention to what is happening and what is not happening. I think there's a lot of great instruction there for us. When Paul is on his way up to Bithynia, he does not wait around for a magical sign from God. This is a man who we would say is probably one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. And he did not twiddle his thumbs going, hmm, I know people need the gospel out there, but I'm just gonna wait until like there's a shining light in the sky or you know, God does something really amazing to show me, oh, this is where you should go. And what's so cool about this is that he actually packs up and heads north toward Bithynia and God allows him to get part of the way there before the spirit of Jesus Christ tells him, stop, I don't want you to go there. What does that tell us? That tells us that it was not God's will for Paul to go to Bithynia. That is not where God wanted him to go. And yet, Paul did not wait for verification of that before he set out in that direction. And so Paul as he was thinking about it and making his plans and considering where to go next, he said, they haven't heard the gospel in Bithynia. I really want to bring the gospel to them. I I know they need to hear the gospel. And so I'm just going to, we're just going to pack up and we're going to head that way. And then along the way, he remained open every step of the way to God redirecting his path. That is so cool to me. Because there are times in my life, and I'm sure there are times in yours as well, where I just want a sign from God. I just want to know, God, where are you directing me? Where are you taking me? I'm just going to wait here. I'm going to wait on you, Lord, until you show me where to go. And I'm telling you, that is not always a biblical approach. God gave us brains for a reason. He told us to ask him for wisdom so that we could make wise choices. And Paul said, I think Bithynia is a wise choice. And so they packed their things and God allowed them to do that. And they headed along the way. At any point in that time, even during the thought process, the spirit could have shown up to Paul and said, don't even bother packing your bags, Paul. Because that's not where I want you to go. He actually allowed him to get part of the way there, in my view, so that it would be instructive for us. So that we would know, hey, this is how I work sometimes. He gets part of the way there. The spirit stops him and Paul goes, okay, we'll go to a different place. Now he didn't tell them where to go. So they headed to a port city called Troas. And it was in Troas where Paul received a vision of a man from Macedonia calling to him and asking him to come bring the gospel to them in Macedonia. And so Paul was going to go to Bithynia where they needed the gospel. But God had other plans. God wanted him to bring the gospel to a completely different continent of Europe for the first time. And so God stopped them from going to Bithynia, even though Paul thought that was a a good idea. Paul was open to that redirection. 
Paul and his crew went to Troas. They get this vision to go to Macedonia and they get on a ship and they head up to Macedonia. And they're going to different cities in Macedonia. One of the first places that they end up is a city called Philippi. And that's where this letter is written to. It's written later on to the believers that Paul reached in the city of Philippi. Philippi was named after the father of Alexander the Great, King Philip of Macedonia. And by the time Paul got there in his missionary journey, this city had been thoroughly Romanized. It was converted a long time ago into a military base. And so the soldiers who came to the city of Philippi, they kind of got married there and they stuck around and they had kids. And so this city became a, a very, very Roman city, even though it was in a Greek area. And so it was a very Roman city. Emperor worship was a big deal there. We'll see some of that stuff later on in our study. Paul launches a church plant here in Philippi, reaches a few different people. He and Silas, they, uh, they cast a demon out of a young girl. It's a long story, but because of that experience, they end up in jail. And then while they're in jail, um, you see the Philippian jailer come to faith in Jesus and he wants to let the guys go. And Paul and Silas say, no, no, uh, we're Roman citizens and the way they've treated us is deplorable. We'll just wait here in jail until the uh, government officials come in and release us and apologize. And that's exactly what they did. And the local government officials, when they found out they were Roman citizens, said, we are so sorry. You know, please get out of here. And so they came down and they let them out. And then Paul met with the believers there, that handful of believers that he had led to the Lord one last time before taking off. And so Paul then writes back to the Philippians in this letter that we call Philippians to thank them, to encourage them, and to warn them. And there's a spot in your program, if you have one of those, where you can write all these notes down. I know some of you uh, take notes and, and have a journal or something like that. In fact, someone just after the last service took a picture of their notes and sent it to me afterward, which was really cool. So I love it when you take notes. It'll help you remember this better. Paul wrote, Philippians to thank them, to encourage them, and to warn them. It's a very positive sounding letter, and that's one reason why I think so many people count this as one of their favorite books of the Bible. It's a whole lot easier to read than, say, Lamentations. It's just a, a fun, friendly, like, I love you guys, you love me, we're so supportive of each other, here are a couple of warnings, but other than that, everything's great. And so we love the book of Philippians. It's a wonderful book. These were people who Paul truly cared for. He had a fondness for them so much that as far as we can tell from his writings, this was his favorite church. This was his favorite group of people. This is a church that had supported him financially and emotionally. They sent people to encourage him when he was in prison. When he moved on from Philippi, that young little church would send money to him in the next cities that he went to around that area so that he would have financial support. This was a model church. They carried on his ministry. They were passionate about the same things he was passionate about. Several people in, in, the, Philippian, uh, in the letter to the Philippians are mentioned as being partners with Paul in his ministry and in sharing the, the good news. And he makes a point to say, not just back when I was with you, but even now, I'm still getting reports of the ministry that you are carrying on that I started with you. Paul opens up his heart in this letter more than we see just about anywhere else. He reveals some of his inner thoughts and, and feelings and how he's wrestling through things and how he, he thinks 
He'll be able to get out of prison and go see them eventually, but he's also well aware that he may die there and never see them again. There were a couple of problems in Philippi that he addresses. One was the presence of Jewish Christian missionaries who would travel around. And maybe you've heard of this before, maybe you haven't, but back in Bible times, shortly after Jesus died and rose again and left, and you have the apostles and different leaders of the church going out and sharing the gospel with people, there were lots of other people trying to build a following as well. There were genuine Christians who had bad motives, who shared the real gospel, but with a purpose for them to build their own following. Paul talks about that in this book. There were a, a group of people, or multiple groups of people called the Gnostics, who had their own kind of beliefs they were trying to convert people to, and Paul writes about them on a number of occasions, warning the churches about them. In this case, there were another group of people that were Jewish Christian missionaries, and the reason I say Christian is because they claimed to follow Jesus, but they didn't really. They claimed to follow Jesus, but they said that in order to truly follow Jesus and be saved, you had to be circumcised, and you had to follow Jewish laws. And, and Paul said, no, 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 Jesus came to fulfill that law that is not for you to follow. And yet these people would go around and say, well, you kind of need both. You need all the traditions and, and laws and regulations over here. And you need to say you follow Jesus and you put those two together. It's what we call syncretism. Two different belief systems, mash them up together. And Paul writes to the Philippians and says, I want to warn you about those people because they preach a false version of the gospel. The second thing that Paul was warning them about really rebuking them over is there's two women who back when Paul was there with them uh, were, were evangelists. They were sharing the gospel with him. They were partners in ministry with him. And somehow between the time when Paul was there and the time when he writes this letter, they got into a bitter disagreement with each other. And we don't know what the specifics of that were, but they, they argued somehow and it caused a disturbance. And so Paul wrote to them and even asked someone Uh, locally there to help them resolve their difference and get over whatever that was. When Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was in prison and he didn't know what was going to happen to him next. He said he thought he might be able to get out, but he was also well aware that he might die there. And he said, hey, if I lose my life here, it's it's glory to God because it's, it's because of Jesus that I'm in here. And so it was fine with him if he lost his life. We're not exactly sure where he was imprisoned. We know that Paul spent a couple of years in prison in Rome, so it's possible that that's where he was. Um, Some people think that he was locked up in Ephesus for a while. It's possible that's where he was. After looking at the evidence and reading through all the different arguments from different scholars, my view is that this was probably sent from Rome. I just think there's, there's a lot of evidence that points toward Rome being the location, and I think the evidence for Ephesus is a little weaker. Some people propose other places, but those are the two most likely So I would say it's probably Rome. But it doesn't really matter where he was. The important thing to remember is that he was in prison. He was suffering for the gospel. He was mostly alone where he was. So he's incredibly lonely. He's writing this letter to friends that he loves dearly, people who have supported him and encouraged him. And he says over and over, I mean, he's longing to see them. He wants to be with them so bad he misses them. His heart aches because he cannot be with them right now. He wants to see them, but he is stuck. At one point in this letter, he talks about people who are in his area, who are followers of Jesus, who are preaching the gospel, the true gospel. He verifies their their ministry is true, what they're saying. But he says they're doing it out of false motives. 
They're doing it to actually hurt me. So they're going about their ministry. These people that ought to be supporting me, these people that ought to be encouraging me and helping me, the the Christians here who ought to be part of my tribe, those people are working against me. He's incredibly lonely. He's got a couple of friends, no family around, of course, and these people that maybe were most like family to him, the Philippians were far, far away. So what we get in this letter is an inside look at the mind of someone who we would consider to be one of the greatest Christians who've ever lived in one of the most difficult circumstances you can imagine, handling that sadness and that loneliness in a godly way. It's a great, great book. Can you imagine being locked up in prison and not knowing if you would make it out alive? Can you imagine being stuck in that cell, not much to eat or drink, not great circumstances, not a great condition to be in, just trapped there, people actively working against you who ought to be your friends. You've basically been betrayed by the very people who ought to be your support group right now. You have a couple of people around you, but one of them who the Philippian church sent to you, his name's Epaphroditus, he actually becomes deathly sick and almost dies. Paul is incredibly lonely in this circumstance. It's devastating. And yet this is the man who writes to the Philippian church and says, you need to be joyful in every circumstance. How amazing is that? So that is our idea for this series. We're going to look at eight different types of negative circumstances that we can find ourselves in. And we're basically going to try to pick Paul's brain on how we can have joy in the middle of them. Here's the list of what we're going to go through. We're going to talk about being lonely, suffering, feeling like an outsider, feeling lowly, that means you have less value than other people, being tempted, incomplete, concerned or worried, and poor. And today, we're going to look at loneliness. How can you and I be lonely and yet rejoicing? There are a lot of lonely people out there, right? We have a lot of loneliness In this world, it seems like it's only getting worse, which is ironic because we have all of these tools to help us connect with other people. They don't always work the way they're supposed to. We talked about this a little a few months ago in the How to Neighbor series, so you can go back and watch that online if you want to. Uh, But our connections with the people around us are nowhere near as, as deep or important to us in many cases as they once were, especially with our neighbors. So back in the day, before you had easy transportation and communication with everybody, cell phones, internet, all that stuff, you pretty much had to get to know the people around you right there. In fact, your location where you live really dictated who you had access to for relationships and for friends because you couldn't just travel an hour, hour's worth in a day and make it 60 miles away and see other people. Your church would be based very much on where you live, much more than it is today. Probably many of you drove past 10 churches to get here this morning, which, good job, you picked the right one. But (laughs) there are lots of options for you. You have easy access to other things. Back in the day, that wasn't the case. You were kind of trapped where you were, and so you had a choice. You could either go outside and talk with your neighbors, you could go outside and spend time on your front porch, you could engage with the community around you, or you could become a hermit and just kind of live in your house and never talk to anybody. 
Well, nowadays, it's so much easier for us to just go where we want to go or communicate with who we want to communicate from inside. And technology has made it such that we should be more connected, but in many ways, we feel much more alone, much more disconnected than ever. You can just hop on Facebook or Instagram or Reddit or whatever your social community of choice is and talk with people that you may have never seen in real life. You don't have that kind of a connection with. You have some kind of a connection with. There are certainly friendships that form online. There are many couples that have met online. But it still isn't quite the same as connecting with people who are around you. And so you may have 1,500 friends on Facebook and feel incredibly lonely. You can just stay inside. You don't have to go out. You can binge watch Netflix all day. You can play Call of Duty or Fortnite or, I don't know, knit. Whatever you do, you can do all kinds of things instead of going and interacting with other people. And so we can get incredibly lonely. We can wear this mask of having all of this connection with people. And yet, really, we feel alone inside. It's so much easier to stay up until 3 a.m. in the morning looking at pictures of other people having fun online than it is to go, like, arrange something to do with them ourselves, right? And so we look at pictures of them having fun. And, oh, I wish I had friends like that. And maybe that's not everybody here, but I'll bet that's some of you. I'll bet that's some of you that feel just incredibly alone. Now, there are good reasons to be lonely sometimes. Some of you may have lost a loved one recently. And you did everything together. And now you just, you wish they were here. And yeah, that's, that's lonely. You may have difficulty connecting with people. You may have difficulty taking that risk. You may have felt like you had friends and then they betrayed you or they, they were talking about you behind your back or they did something that broke, it, broke that relationship off and so you feel incredibly lonely. Whatever the reason is for your loneliness, we're gonna talk about that today. And look at how the Apostle Paul found joy in the midst of his loneliness. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Philippians. No surprise there. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can go to efree.org slash Bible on your mobile device. You'll find the scripture linked to there at the top of the page. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along under events at First Free Church. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Uh, be praying with me if you would. Pray that my voice holds out. I, I was not sure if I, how I was going to make it through this morning. It seems like it's going okay, uh, but do be praying for me. I've even heard of people praying around the country for me today, so I really appreciate that. Uh, but mostly what I want to see here is that God impact our hearts. And so pray for you. Pray that God would reveal areas in your life where you need to find joy in him. Pray that God throughout this whole series would help you to learn to always rejoice no matter what circumstance you are in. Let's bow our heads and and pray to him right now. God, we worship you. We worship you with our singing, with reading your word, with studying it together, with learning principles from it. And we pray that you would honor that time we're spending here by giving us really practical application, Lord, to know how to know how to rejoice in these difficult circumstances that we're in. Because if I had to guess, I'll bet there are some people who are here today right now that are in the middle of some very difficult circumstances and they are wondering this very question, knowing they're supposed to be joyful and yet wondering, how do I do that? And you actually give us the answers in your word. So help us, Lord, as we unpack these today 
to let them sink in deep into our minds and into our hearts, to remember them so that as we feel discouragement and loneliness and all of these other things, that you would prompt us and remind us and help us to remember how we can be joyful in the middle of any circumstance. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what's Paul's secret? How does he do it? How does he stay joyful when he's rotting in a prison cell? Look at verse one with me. He says, this, is, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. Now that's really nice of him because sometimes we don't get the author right off the bat like that. So we really appreciate that. Um, the author of Hebrews did not tell us who wrote it. Um, that's very unfortunate because now we wonder, was it Paul, was it Barnabas, was it someone else? But right here Paul says, hey, this is from me and Timothy is with me and we are slaves of Christ Jesus. Now that's very interesting because Paul's circumstance right now would almost lead you to think he is a prisoner of Rome. But he says, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. That's my identity. It's not about where I'm at right now in life. You get that? It's not about my circumstance right now. I am not defined by where I am at right now in life. I am defined by my position with Jesus Christ. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. I serve him. My life is his. That's why I'm here right now, he says. So I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people, the believers in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That's a normal greeting that Paul gives when he's writing to one of his churches. Grace and peace to you. Every time I think of you, he says, I give thanks to my God. So here's Paul in prison longing for his friends. Every time he thinks of them, he gives thanks to God for them. And he says, thank you, God. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Philippi. Thank you for stopping me from going to Bithynia years ago and redirecting me so that I would end up there to meet those wonderful people who have believed in you. Thank you, Lord, for their support of me. Thank you for how they have encouraged me so many times, sending people to me, providing for this ministry. Thank you, Lord, for those wonderful people in Philippi. This is one of the ways that Paul was able to have joy in his circumstance. There's something we can learn from that. I'm gonna give you four steps to finding joy in difficult circumstances. Four steps to finding joy in the middle of loneliness. And the first one is this. Thank God for people who have encouraged and supported you. Thank God for people who have encouraged and supported you. And this may sound incredibly obvious. Like, yeah, you know, duh, that's a great thing to do. But let's be honest. It's one of the last things we do when we're really feeling lonely. I mean, when we're feeling really lonely and discouraged, Who do we think about the most? Me. I'm not thinking about other people. I'm not thinking about how thankful I am for other people because all I can think about is woe is me. And understand, I I get it. There are good reasons to be lonely. This is not a cure for loneliness. This is not a how to get out of loneliness. This is how to rejoice in loneliness. And Paul starts by thanking God for the people who have been a blessing and encouragement to him. So who do you have in your life that you can be thankful for? And there's a spot on the back of your program if you want to write these down 
I know that oftentimes when we're lonely and discouraged, it's really hard to think. And so you may need to just have this somewhere where you can find it and go, okay, this is the step I need to go to first. Who are the people in my life that I am thankful for, that have encouraged me, that have supported me? Who has been a blessing to me? And spend time thanking God for those people. And I promise you that will give you a different perspective on your situation. There's a guy named Dr. Robert Emmons. He's considered one of the world's leading experts on the study of the science of gratitude. And as he has studied thankfulness and gratitude, he has found that being thankful, intentionally thankful for other people in certain things can be a very effective treatment for depression, PTSD, stress, anxiety. And he actually recommends, and a lot of counselors do, that you keep a gratitude journal. That you have some kind of a notebook somewhere that is your thankfulness journal, your gratitude journal. And every time something happens or somebody does something for you or you think of someone who you are just so thankful for, you just write that down. And it's just all the stuff you're thankful for. And it becomes this kind of big list of all the things I'm thankful for so that when you start to get discouraged, lonely, depressed, whatever it is, you can pull out that journal. And I'm not saying it's a cure, but it is a great way to look through that and go, oh, I'm so thankful for that. And to shift your perspective a little bit. It's what Paul does right here. Paul knew, I'm not gonna focus on my current circumstances. I'm going to focus on the people that I am thankful for. Now, what I wanna do is flip that coin over as well because there is something we can learn from approaching this the opposite direction. Here's what I mean by that. When I ask that question in reverse, here's what it sounds like. When people think of you, are they thankful? When people are going through a difficult time, when other people are suffering, when they're alone, when they're lonely and discouraged and your name pops into their mind or your face, do they go, I'm so thankful for that person. Man, there's just such an encouragement to me. Now that's a convicting thought, isn't it? And so I think that is a great step two for us. Here it is. Brainstorm, I love to brainstorm. I love thinking up ideas for things. Brainstorm ways that you can encourage and support others. So you're in the middle of loneliness and you're thanking God for the people who have been a blessing to you and that's helping to shift your mindset a little bit and you find a little more joy from that. And here's my challenge to you. Then take some time to think through, okay, how can I go be a blessing to others? How can I shift this perspective away from focusing on me and my loneliness to actually helping other people? And I promise you, if you do that, you will start to see your whole perspective shift. If we turn that around so that we now focus on helping other people instead of how lonely or discouraged we feel. It doesn't mean we're unaware of our circumstances. It just means that we are becoming more others-focused instead of self-focused. In the middle of loneliness, how can I encourage and support someone else? And I think that if you do that, you will feel a lot less lonely than you did before. Not that it's a cure, but it certainly will help you find joy. Let's read on. Verse four, Paul says, whenever I pray, I make my requests for you, for all of you, with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news, my partners in spreading the good news, about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. So even though Paul is in this miserable circumstance, he has joy. Why? Because he's thankful for these people who've been such a blessing to him. 
He's thankful for his relationship with them. He's praying for them. He's remembering their ministry. And and think about this, the fact that the Apostle Paul, who is sitting in a prison cell, is there and not just praying for himself, although I think he did that as well. We know at other times, Paul prayed for himself. He was aware of his struggles, his circumstances. He had this thing he called his thorn in the flesh, and he prayed three times for it to be removed. Paul prayed for his own circumstances, but that's not all he did. He also took time to pray for other people. In the middle of what he was doing, and why I think that is so amazing, is because I think for us, that's kind of the last thing we think of when we're in a really difficult circumstance, at least for me. If I'm really lonely, if I'm really discouraged, the person I'm thinking about the most is me. The person I'm praying about is me. If I'm in a prison cell thinking I might die there, my prayers do not immediately go toward other people. My prayers sound like this. God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. I do not want to be here anymore. Lord, please get me out of here. Why am I in here? This is so unfair. God, would you please get me out of here? And yet Paul is taking time. I'm sure he did pray to get out of there if it was God's will, but he's taking time to pray for other people. Now, he did not just pray for them generically. And I know that sometimes it's, um, it's difficult for us when we sit down to pray for someone else, especially if you are in that state of loneliness and discouragement. And you, you remember, okay, Adam said I'm supposed to pray for other people. Okay, so I'm going to sit down, I'm going to pray for other people. And doesn't it just feel like when you're lonely or discouraged that there's just a cloud that settles in over your head? Have you ever had that? You just can't think of anything else, right? And you're just like, okay. Uh, I know I'm supposed to do this, but how exactly, what do I say? What do I do? Nothing's coming to my mind. Oh, I'm so lonely, but I'm supposed to pray for people. What am I supposed to, okay, Lord, um, thank you for Jim. Uh, please just be with him, God. Be with Jim today. Be with Jim. And God's up there going, why are you praying that I be with him? I'm everywhere. Of course I'm with him. Like, can't you be a little more specific than that? And thankfully for us, Paul gives us five things that he hopes for, prays for, for the people in Philippi. Now, you're going to have to jump around with me a little bit for this. So hang on tight. We're going to jump forward a few verses and look at verse 9. Here's what Paul says. Oh, pray for other people. That's our third point. Pray for other people. Here's how he does it. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. He says, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And there's a place for you to write these down too if you want to or if you're taking notes I would love for you to write this down because I know in in those times when you're lonely and you're discouraged, it's really hard to think of what am I going to pray for those other people? It's something you have to practice. Honestly, it's a discipline. The more you pray for people, the better you will get at thinking of the right things to pray for people. Paul was specific in his prayers and so you at that moment could go to your bedside table or a drawer somewhere or wherever you put this thing and find this and pull it out and you could go down this list and pray for people. And I've sort of converted this into what I would pray for people. So let me share these five things with you to be specific in your prayers for others, even when you're lonely. Number one, Lord, I pray that you would give them a love for people that overflows more and more. I pray that you would give them a love for people. 
Not just me. I'm not praying for me, Lord. I pray for them. I pray that you would give them a love for people. Isn't that cool? I pray that you would give them a love for people. I pray that you would help them grow in their knowledge and their understanding. I'm not just praying for me. I'm praying for them. I'm praying that they would learn, that they would grow, that you would teach them. I pray, Lord, that their time in the word with you would be really sweet and wonderful and that they would learn from it and grow from it. Lord, I pray that you teach them something new today. I pray that you would help to guide them. I pray that you would send people into their life who would help to teach them and mentor them like maybe I would do if I could be there, but I'm far away right now. And so, Lord, would you just send people into their life to help them grow in their knowledge and understanding? I pray that you would help them prioritize what really matters in life. When do we pray that for someone else? Lord, I'm in a lonely, discouraged state right now, but I pray that you would help them have wisdom in their decisions. I pray that you would help them to understand what really matters in life. I pray that you would help them not to focus too much on things that don't really matter, but to remember what does matter. And Lord, would you just prompt them in that way right now? As I'm lonely and discouraged, God, I'm praying for them that they would prioritize what really matters in life. I pray that you would guide them in living pure and blameless lives. Lord, would you, would you help them to steer clear of sin? Would you just guide them away from temptation, Lord? Help them to stay strong. Holy Spirit, would you watch over them and, and guard their hearts and their minds? Help them to be prompted when they're about to do something wrong and Give them that extra conviction to keep them from going over the line. Lord, would you help them to live pure and blameless lives? And the last one, I pray that you would help them live out the fruit of their salvation with excellent character and a life that glorifies you. God, would would you please help them to have great character in what they do, to have integrity, to tell the truth, to make wise choices, to, to always be honest in everything that they do. Lord, to live lives that are, that are worthy of your name because they call themselves a Christian. Lord, I pray that you would help them to be a testimony for you. I pray that you would be glorified by what they do. Yes, even in my discouragement and my loneliness and my frustration or the, the natural self and everything in me wants to spend every waking moment praying for myself. Lord, I'm praying for them that you would help them to have the testimony and the character and the reputation that glorifies and honors you. That's how we can pray for people even in the midst of our loneliness. And Paul said, as I pray these things for you, it gives me joy. I can have joy in this circumstance as I am in prison, as I am locked up, because I'm praying for you. So let's do a quick review. The first step was to thank God for people who have encouraged and supported you. The second step As long as you're doing that, flip it around and brainstorm the ways that you can be a blessing and a support and an encouragement for other people. The third step is to pray for other people and be specific. Ask God for their love to abound, for personal growth for them, for wisdom, for prioritization of the right things in their life, for their character, a life that will glorify and praise God. And if you're noticing the trend here, everything we're talking about, it's for others. How do you find joy in the middle of loneliness? It's by not focusing on yourself, but other people. That doesn't mean you're unaware. That doesn't mean you don't feel lonely anymore. This is not how to be cured from loneliness. You may be able to break out of that and not feel that anymore. Or you may still be lonely for a while. This is about how to have joy in the middle of 
your loneliness, how to be lonely and rejoicing. We have one more step. Step four, and we have to go back to verse six for this. Verse six says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. They were a part of this with him. They were defending and confirming the truth of of the good news. He says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to notice here. The believers in Philippi were more than just church attenders. They were more than just church members. They were participants on the same mission that Paul was on. We see this all over the letter of Philippians. In verse 27 of this chapter, he says, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. He tells them that they were suffering for Jesus as well as he was, that they were suffering and struggling together with him in this effort. He tells them to let their light shine in a dark world. This is the only church that we know of that multiple times sent Paul financial support and sent people to comfort and encourage him. They were partners with him in ministry, even while he was in prison. Several of the people that Paul mentions in this letter to the Philippians who were there in Philippi are people that he calls his co-workers, his partners in ministry, people that had been serving with him. And back in verse four, which we already read, it says this, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy for... You have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. In other words, Paul is hearing reports that they are continuing to do the thing that he did with them, the thing that mattered most to him. Over in the letter to the Corinthians, he says, I I brought to you what was the most important thing to me, the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again so that we can be restored to a relationship with God. That's the most important thing to me. And right now he is telling us, these people in Philippi, they were engaged in that and they hadn't let it fizzle out. They were doing it when he was there and they're still doing it now. They are sharing the good news about Jesus. They are defending the good news. They are partners with him in ministry. They carried out his mission, even in his absence, even while he was in prison, even while the people who were around him in the city he was in were doing it for personal gain. They were partners with him from so far away in sharing the gospel and carrying on his mission. And this is step four. This is step four of how we can find joy even in our loneliness. And here it is. Invest in people who are passionate about your mission. Invest in people who are passionate about your mission. There is a huge mistake I see all the time in Christian ministry. I'm not talking just full-time ministry. I'm talking anyone that serves God in some capacity, anyone that's involved in service and ministry. There's a mistake I see, and I have made it many times myself, and here it is. We can spend all of our time doing the work of the ministry and no time investing in the people who are doing that work of the ministry with us. We can spend all of our time on the tasks of ministry 
and not actually take the time to invest in the people around us. And to be honest with you, sometimes the biggest impact we can have is to pull alongside someone who is maybe not serving right now or someone who is but needs to grow and learn or someone that we can encourage in that effort and invest in them and develop them instead of just doing the ministry thing we were doing. And even though that ministry we were doing is important, the multiplication happens when we train someone else and equip them to do what we were doing. When we bring them alongside of us and make them a partner in ministry. We have to be willing to do that. No matter what type of ministry we're doing, bring others alongside of us and have those partners in ministry. I know how it is to get so wrapped up in the doing of ministry that you are doing and doing and doing and doing and you think you're doing all the right things and then you get burned out. Have you ever been there? You're serving and serving and serving and you just go, whew, that's enough, I'm out. Or there's a family emergency or there's a medical situation or your job moves you away or whatever it is and all of a sudden you get removed from that thing and you who are doing, 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 doing and then that thing kind of falls apart. Why? Because you weren't investing in the people around you to have a team that was doing that together. You see, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone and Christian ministry is not meant to be done alone. And what Paul did and what brought him so much joy was he did not go into a city and say, I've arrived, now I'm gonna do all the ministry work you guys enjoy and then I'm gonna take off. He said, I am gonna build you up. I'm gonna raise up partners in ministry. I'm gonna teach you to do everything. And most of Paul's impact did not come directly from Paul. Most of Paul's impact came from other people carrying on the mission when he skipped town. Why? Because he involved them in what he was doing. He trained them to do it along with him. And so he had partners in ministry who were passionate about the same things that he was passionate about. So who are you inviting to join you in service? Who are you inviting to bring alongside of you and saying, let's do this together and let me invest in you, not just do the thing that I believe God wants me to do, but then help you to come alongside and do that as well. We can get so caught up in the doing of ministry that we lose sight of the discipleship that is supposed to be involved in ministry. Something I thought about as I was studying this passage is that the Apostle Paul never viewed himself as indispensable. In fact, he designed his whole ministry around the idea that he would come in, do a lot of training, coaching, and equipping, and then he would take off. And then he continued to develop and coach those people through his correspondence school, right? He would send them letters and say, by the way, here's some things you can tweak. Here's some things you can do better. Here's some stuff I want you to do, but you're going to do it. And he found tremendous joy in that. It's very simple to do this. It's not hard to take a portion of the time that you are spending serving God in some capacity and say, I'm going to take 10%, 15%, whatever it is, and I'm going to invest that in other people to help bring them along to do this too. That is going to bring so much joy in your life. And at times when you feel lonely, it's going to bring you great joy. Several years ago, I was experiencing some great loneliness in my life, a lot of discouragement. I just felt very alone, felt like I couldn't really talk to the people I was around about it either. I could talk with my wife about it, but the people I was serving with, I I really couldn't. And it was a very discouraging time for me, and I felt very lonely. And this guy who I used to mentor got in touch with me. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know that I am uh, discipling all these guys now, and I'm basically teaching them all the stuff that you taught me years ago. Man, that brought so much joy in my life. To realize, wow, that I feel like I'm not having an impact right now because of the situation that I'm in, and yet look at that, that multiplication that's happening. And a couple years after that, a guy got in touch with me He's a pastor uh, in Missouri, actually, as a matter of fact. And he said, 
um, hey, that stuff that you taught us in, in that ministry we did together years ago, I'm gonna be preaching about that in my church this Sunday. I just thought you'd like to know. That brought me so much joy in a time of discouragement, in a time of loneliness, to know that there was fruit from that ministry and that people were carrying on the mission that I cared so much about. And so my question is simply, what about you? Who are you investing in to develop as a partner in ministry, as a partner in your mission so that they will become as passionate about it as you are so that even in a time where maybe you can't do it or a time when you feel lonely or discouraged, you can think about those people, thank God for them, pray for them, Think about being a blessing to other people and reflect and rejoice in the fact that, wow, I had an impact on that person. And now they're going out and doing what maybe I can't even do right now. And that brings me great joy. So four things. How can we be lonely and rejoicing? Stop and thank God for people who have encouraged and supported you. Brainstorm ways that you can encourage and support other people. Shift your thinking from yourself to them. Pray for other people. Be specific and meaningful in your prayers and invest in people who are passionate about your mission or maybe will become as passionate if you will invest in them. And you will find that you can have great joy even in your loneliness. Let's pray. God, your word is powerful and it teaches us some incredible truths. Help us Lord, to apply these to our lives. Help us, Lord, to see where in our lives we need to find greater joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, understanding that that difficult circumstance may not go away. We may still feel lonely tomorrow. Help us to be joyful, even in the midst of that, as the Apostle Paul was. Help us to find joy the same way that he did, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.